Perhaps you, like many people, are uncomfortable talking with somebody from a different race about that very issue. A good friend of mine, Jua Robinson, and I filmed an interview last week, and we wanted to present this simply as a model for two Christian friends who love each other talking about a difficult concept or difficult conversation about race. Hello, North River. I would like to introduce you to my friend, Jua Robinson. I have known Jua for a number of years. We have worked together on a, a committee called Greater Things for Greater Boston in the city, which is mostly uh, led by folks who are leaders in urban churches, and a few of us are out in the suburbs. And Jua has been part of the, the leadership team that's been driving that for the last year or year and a half. He is also uh, one of the directors of something called the Boston Collaborative that's working with young Christian business leaders in the city. He's my friend. And we've agreed to have at least a short conversation here together uh, as two friends who are trying to talk about the racial strife that's going on in the city and, and the importance of the church to step into this moment rather than to step away from this moment in fear. Um, so, uh, Jua, thanks for doing this. Uh, just going to ask a, a handful of questions that uh, mm -hmm. hopefully we can begin to run through. How has this season since George Floyd's death been impacting you or maybe your family and your work? Yeah, Paul, uh, thanks for having me. Um, hello, North River. Uh, this is such a such an important conversation. Um, how it's impacted you know my me, my family, my work is um, you know we're, we're we're holding on. You know we we are holding on. You know I, I look at the situation and you know really think about just the you know the public you know murder of George Floyd. Um, you know oftentimes when these instances happen, we don't have the vantage point of seeing the face of. The, the perpetrator and the victim all in the same frame. And to see it all come ahead um, right before our eyes uh, was ha so hard to see. You know, I don't, I don't see how you could watch a video like that and your heart not go out to him, to, to go to his family and friends and, and to others who have, who have been in very similar situations. And so as, a, as an African-American male, you know, there are often times where we're seen as less than. And uh, even though, by God's grace, I've never been in his situation, I've, I've had others look at me in the same vein and not see me uh, as someone who's created in the image of God to bring God honor and glory for my life. And it's very hurtful. And so, um, and so personally, it's been a draining season. Um, I've had a lot of you know, I have a lot of these conversations uh, with leaders, with churches, uh, with different communities. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm thankful to have a, a, a voice that's well respected and trusted and the opportunity to even speak uh, to, to help others. Um, it's, it's a tremendous blessing. There's a lot of uh, discussion. This stuff is all over the news. People have strong opinions one way or the other. Mm -hmm. One of the most important ones, I think, for you and me, you've been a pastor in the city for yep. more than 10 years, and mm -hmm. I've been a pastor for a lot longer than that. Gray hairs mm -hmm. uh, show that. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see God at mm -hmm. work? 
in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I see God working in a number of different ways, you know, from a, from an experiential standpoint, you know, it's easy um, because of the, the pain is so intense. It's easy to stay in the pain point and, and not go to what's hopeful. Right. And so to be able to make the transition to say, where, where is God? You know, God is, is moving in some, some very clear ways as well, because now for the first time for many, there are white people saying enough is enough. Like I've, I've seen injustice. I've, I've, I've seen and experienced racism and, um, and, or I've seen others experience racism or I've seen different situations and enough is enough. And so, uh, there's hope because, you know, for so long, the, the, the church and, and many kind of white evangelical settings, they've been very silent on this. And now is an, there's a great opportunity for, for people to be, to not just be vocal, but to also get their hands dirty. And so, and so for example, you know, at my church in Boston, you know, we have a pretty diverse church. And after our services, we typically have a Zoom call where people can have a conversation. And one of our younger um, 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 white members of our congregation in his, in his mid-20s, uh, we were having a time of prayer. And he said something that, that really broke my heart. I mean, it, it, it ministered to my heart in some, in, in some significant ways. And he said, uh, I repent of my sin of silence and how my silence has contributed to racial justice in America. Like my, 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 my eyes were, were, were closed and now it's open. And, and I want to help. And I just remember being in that moment, just tearing up because I, I felt like I was someone who was invisible now being seen for the first time. And so that brings me hope, you know, for, for, in, for folks who are like that, um, you know, the reality is many, many of them are younger, you know, but at the same time, others who have, who have um, had more of a heart to say, how can we be activated and engaged and informed in ways that actually make a difference because because that's been encouraging and I've, I've definitely seen God work in and through those situations. Good, good. What concerns do you have during this time that you think that we as Christians should be aware of? Mm, that's good. I mean, when you, when you think about, you know, kind of the, the, the church, you know, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the body. And so, you know, right now, you know, as, you know, African-Americans in our country, um, the, just the, the, the trauma of, of, you know, 400 years of, of, of racism, you know, is coming ahead. And some of the, some of the, the griefs to bear that, that we felt for a number of years um, is, is, is now coming to light into some, in, in some real ways. And, you know, I would just say, um, and being aware, you know, typically there are, you know, three different responses. You know, one response is to the person who, you know, say, say, you know, I'm speaking, you know, predominantly to, to you know, to my, my white Christians, brothers and sisters, you know, typical, you know, there's someone who's, who's already aware of the situation. You know, maybe they're a teacher or maybe they work with communities of color. And so they've seen some of the experiences of injustice of people of color. And so they've been adamant about it and actually been, have been vocal and have been allies and friends for a number of years. You know, there's a second camp of people who are, who are now being awakened 
And for those individuals that are saying, what can I do? I want to be engaged. You know, this seems like such a, a, a tremendous you know, opportunity, but I'm overwhelmed because I've never been a part of it. So now what do I do? How can I be activated? And then there's another camp of people who say, well, you know, we're, we're, we're past talking about race in America. Like we're, we're, we're past talking about it. You know, if you just work hard, you know, good things are going to come to you. Um, and, and, and the reality is, you know, that type of perspective, you know, is, 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 is one where, where, I don't want to say this, that it's a perspective that, um, that is, is uninformed about the realities of a whole group of people who have had a very different experience than those individuals. And so, and so um, the concern is, is that if you've, you've been educated in all white institutions, you know, you've attended all white churches, you know, golf, you know, the, the country clubs are all white, um, the social settings are all white. Um, um, the concern is, is, is if someone is not willing to really surrender their mind and their heart to the Holy Spirit to say, you know, is there anything in me that's unexamined that the Holy Spirit needs to uproot? You know, are there any seeds of, of, of discord? Are there any seeds of racism? Are there any seeds of prejudiceness? Are there any seeds of, of, of carelessness with my words with others that would potentially be hurtful for someone else? Um, and if there are, I need, I need to repent of those. And so I would just say from a concern standpoint, it's just really making sure that people um, are, are living lives that are examined. And, um, and I remember, you know, you know um, Mother Teresa said years ago, she said, you know, an unexamined life is not a life worth living. And so, you know, I think the reality is, is knowing that in Christ, you know, what Christ does is he illuminates. And we have the greatest illuminator uh, that the world has ever known in Jesus. And so like, he's the one who illuminates and he's the one who we should be turning to, 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 to have that examination uh, in each one of our hearts. Yeah. Great quote. You know, Mother Teresa was either quoting Socrates or Plato. I've forgotten which one, but you know, yes. that is just relevant from generation to generation. Right. And I think it flows out of our understanding of Christian faith Part of it is uh, is not just repenting at the moment of salvation, but a life mm -hmm. of repentance, so yeah. that the Holy Spirit is continuing to uh, chisel away all of the junk in order to make us into the image of Christ, little by little. Um, last thought, and um, I know it's not your job to fix my church or me, mm. but... Mm -hmm. If you could think of it, is, is there a step or a couple of things that we as a church or we as individual Christians may be able to do that would be helpful? That's a great, great question. Yes, I do. I mean, I, I think there, there, there are four things. Um, you know, the first one is just pray. You know, begin to pray, you know, as I shared earlier, uh, examining your own heart. You know, if there are areas that, that need to be uprooted, you know, really submitting those to the Lord, you know, recognizing that, you know, why, why, why don't you go to certain communities? You know, why don't you have relationships beginning to examine yourself and say, why don't you have relationships with certain people or certain people groups? And so beginning to just really uh, surrender yourself to uh, the Holy Spirit's leading in that area. Uh, 
Um, you know, secondly, it's learning about the history of, of America, you know, especially as it pertains to African Americans and, and, and people of color. And, and really beginning to, um, to, to broaden, you know, your understanding of, of what it means to, to be someone else uh, here in America. Uh, there's a really great book called The Color of Co uh, Compromise by uh, Jamar Tindy. And, um, and uh, it is actually on Amazon Prime right now. There's a video series that's free right now. And a lot of churches are going through it and, um, and, and talking about it because it talks about the history. You know, it even talks about how the church has contributed to some of the pain in, in communities as well. And so I would, you know, just encourage, you know, churches to go through that. Uh, Christina I, Cleveland. I just wrote uh, that out. Yeah, Jim Perkins is another great author. Um, I mean, there are just so many great resources that are available now uh, for people to access to learn more um, um, about, about, you know, from a historical standpoint. Um, you know, thirdly is, is connecting. It's connecting with, with other, you know, folks of color. Um, you know, really beginning with the, with the conversation of just saying, you know, help me understand. You know, help me understand. Um, because oftentimes certain um, uh, presumptions are made of people because we don't have relationships with them. And so um, I, I believe in everyone's life, you need someone of color who you'd say, I, I would die for that person because I know them, I love them, and I, I trust them. And so, um, and so who, would that, who would that person be? And so, you know, someone that you add value to, to their life and vice versa, um, you know, like an iron sharpens iron type of relationship. And then fourthly, is 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 act um you know we can act on an individual level and then we can act on a on a corporate level you know say such as a church and so um and so the reality is like injustice and racism like like that's that's a heart issue you know only christ can uproot that you know but at the same time uh america won't change for the better until white Americans get as upset as, as black Americans about some of the things that are happening in our country. And so um, beginning to, to say, who can I be a voice for? Who can I be an advocate for? Uh, my good friend, Matt Thompson from Jubilee Church, he talks about it uh, like pregnancy. He said, you know, as a, as a husband, you know, as dads, you know, we're all fathers, you know, we're in the, the delivery room with our wives and it would be, fatal to say, hey, honey, well, you know, I'm not hurting right now. You, you know, you just keep on pushing and you just keep doing your thing. And, uh, and, you know, you've had kids before. So, so, so why, why, why are you in pain right now? I mean, it would just be a very insensitive thing to say, but, but the husband who's there, he's standing and he's lending his voice and his presence to be there with her right in her moment of need. And he's feeling the pain with her as much as he's able. And so, you know, right now, that's the, that's the posture that's helpful, you know, is to listen, is to learn, and is to, to understand how to be activated. So, um, so whether it be, you know, advocating for, for education, you know, ad advocating for housing or, or, or income inequality, um, you know, there are a number of different ways of, of, of being activated. And um, I would just say, is to really think about it, you know, to, to say what what can I do as an individual and then what can I do as a as a church? And so how can we how can we 
um, utilize um, the opportunities and the platforms that God has given us to help those who who may need uh, additional assistance and uh, just to, and just our presence um, in some significant ways. Sure, that's beautiful. I'm thinking of that illustration, and what what hits me is when the husband is there with his wife during the delivery, even though she may be the one who's doing all the work. Yes, they both get yes. to enjoy the new life that comes out of that. Yeah, and to take that metaphor a little bit farther. Yeah, they enjoy it together. Supporting, we will enjoy the new life that comes as a result. Right, right, right. Hey, let me thank you for taking some time and mm -hmm. for doing this. And I, I really appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your willingness to uh, have this discussion with me today, knowing that all of North River is going to be listening in. Bless you, my friend. Amen. God bless you as well. Thank you for the, for the invitation. Love you, North River. Thanks, Julia. I hope that was helpful to you. Let me start with a prayer before we move into this morning's message. Lord God, we thank you for caring about each and every one of us and about every follower of Jesus in this world, no matter where they live and where they come from or what they look like. Grant us wisdom in the midst of these times, not simply to do what is comfortable, but to only settle for the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Lead us wisely. Give us courage. Help us to be truthful. Help us to be able to reassess what's going on in our own thinking and our own assumptions about life. And as we begin to work our way through this letter to the Philippian church, I pray that you would also give us the courage to think about the future and about lessons that we can learn from the Apostle Paul that guide us in moving forward today. Lord, forgive our sins, cleanse us from the inside, help us to continue to follow you and to follow you even more wisely and more rigorously than we have before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you have heard of the lesson of the garbage truck. Davin Huss tells the story this way. One day I got into a taxi and took off for the airport. We were driving in the right lane when a car suddenly sped out of an alley and right in front of us. My taxi driver slammed on his brakes, skidded, and missed crashing into that other car by mere inches. The driver of that car then stuck his head out the window and began yelling at us. My driver, my taxi driver, just smiled and waved at him. So I asked a moment later, why did you just smile at him? That guy almost caused a wreck, and then he began cursing at you. That was when my taxi driver taught me the lesson of the garbage truck. He explained something like this. Many people are like garbage trucks. They run around full of garbage, full of frustration, full of anger and disappointment. As their garbage piles up, they need a place to dump it, and sometimes they dump it on you. He went on saying, don't take it personally. Don't take their garbage and dump it on other people at home, at work, or on the streets. Just smile, wish them well, and move on. Now, what happened in that conversation? The man telling the story made an assumption about the angry driver and about the response that he thought should come normally from his taxi driver. 
that he should pour out a similar stream of anger on that crazy driver. But the taxi driver's story about the garbage truck forced him to take another look at his own assumptions, to reassess. We all make assumptions. Isaac Asimov once wrote, Your assumptions are your windows on the world. Scrub them off every once in a while, or the light won't come in. In other words, sometimes our assumptions can be wrong, and they cloud the way that we understand truth. The lesson of the garbage truck really grabbed my attention when I first read it. It made me wonder about some of my own assumptions. I chose to use it today because the New Testament letter we are going to begin to work our way through this morning finds the Apostle Paul responding to a ministry assumption that is no longer true. What was Paul's assumption? Well, he was well known as a traveling missionary, but confinement in a Roman jail would eliminate his travels and personal visits. So his work began to focus on a new method of ministry by writing letters instead of visiting people. And man, am I glad that the Apostle Paul made that switch, as difficult as it must have been. Welcome back to North River Church today. We are beginning a new series today that I am calling Recalculate. What do you think of when you hear that word, recalculate? My mind immediately goes to that voice I hear from my GPS whenever I do not follow the instructions of the woman whose voice chastises me through that GPS. She calls out, recalculating. And then an old-fashioned hourglass appears, and it begins to spin until the GPS gets new bearings. And since the middle of March, you and I have been recalculating the daily patterns of our lives. So here's the big idea for today. I want to give it to you right up front. The pathway to joy and completion in life forces us to reassess our assumptions. We're going to talk for a few minutes about reassessing our assumptions based on these first 14 verses of Philippians chapter 1. Here's the first one. Our ministry is more of a partnership than ever before. Paul begins this section in verse 3 by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We read about Paul's first ministry days in the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. For anyone new to reading the Bible, Acts is shorthand for the Acts of the Apostles. It's the book in the Bible that describes what happened after the ministry years of Jesus and in the earliest records of the disciples of Jesus after Jesus had returned to the heavens. Paul had been persecuting Christians when he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus as Jesus revealed himself to Paul. This encounter proved to Paul that Jesus really had risen from the grave, that he was alive, and that he had a life-changing mission for Paul. Part of that mission took Paul to the city of Philippi in modern-day Turkey. The Christian movement in Philippi began with two dramatic events. The first event came when Paul spoke to a group of women at a riverbank. He was new to the city and there was no synagogue, so his habit was to find a place where people could go and pray safely. And that happened to be alongside the river in this town. 
An affluent businesswoman named Lydia was the first person there to believe in Jesus through Paul's ministry. Lydia and the members of her household all came to faith, and then Paul had the privilege of baptizing them as Christians. And then Paul and his team used her home as their ministry base in those early weeks and months in Philippi. The second event came a few days later when Paul and his ministry companion Silas spent an awful night in jail. The town magistrate viewed Paul and Silas as outside troublemakers, so Paul and Silas were whipped and beaten and thrown into the city jail overnight. And in the process, their rights as Roman citizens, which was rare in the city of Philippi, were violated. Instead of complaining, Paul and Silas were praying and singing at midnight when a tremendous earthquake shook the jail itself. The other prisoners were so enthralled by their singing and their stories about Jesus that none of them escaped when they had the chance because of the earthquake. And the jailer was so grateful. At first he wanted to take his own life, but Paul was able to talk him out of it because none of the prisoners were gone. And in the morning, the jailer put his faith in Jesus Christ and he and his entire household were also baptized. Paul longed to return to Philippi, but because of his confinement, his ministry assumptions had changed. He could not visit Philippi because he was confined in house arrest in Rome for about two years. He was not sure if he would live or die once his case made its way to Caesar. And we believe that 11 years had gone by since Paul's last visit to Philippi and the writing of this letter. This forces Paul to reassess. He will focus more on coaching than on hands-on ministry from this time forward. And a new kind of partnership emerged. Paul would pray and write letters of encouragement and instruction, and the church members in each city would be seen as true partners in the cause of spreading the good news. And so Paul refers to them and their partnership here in the opening chapter of Philippians. And then he trusted that the Lord would continue to shape mold and strengthen these growing Christians. And Paul started to see that it didn't all depend on him. Here's the second reassessment that Paul made. He discovered that methods change, but the mission stays the same. Verse 7 tells us a little bit about this. Paul writes, Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. What had happened? Years later, Paul had been accused of disturbing the peace in Jerusalem. And after being held for two years in Caesarea, which was the provincial capital city in Judea, Paul asserted his rights as a Roman citizen by appealing his case to Caesar. While Paul waited for the Roman court system to work, he was placed in house arrest. And this process went on and on. Another two years were spent in house arrest. So get this. Paul's house became his jail. Does that sound somewhat familiar with what you and I are going through these days? Our houses sometimes start to feel like they confine us. The longer this house arrest continued, Paul had to reassess his ministry assumptions. Here are the methods that changed due to Paul's home confinement. First, he moved from in-person teaching to letter writing. At least for now, his days as a traveling missionary and church planter were over. 
He had been free to go wherever the Holy Spirit led him to go before this. He had taken three long missionary journeys, spreading the Christian faith from city to city. He would preach and teach in the homes of the people that he met along the way and in the various meeting places. This was a style of ministry that was built on direct access and eye-to-eye contact. Now Paul would focus on writing letters to churches and to leaders. The second method that changed was from apostle-centered ministry to partner-centered ministry. Notice how Paul thanks God for the Philippian partnership in the gospel. Prior to this, Paul had traveling partners, and he spoke of his partners being people like Barnabas or Silas or Timothy. Now Paul sees the power of a new partnership with church members emerging as the ones who take the gospel forward into their own communities, into their own neighborhoods. He prays for and praises their work in this partnership of the gospel. And then there's a third methodology that changes from first-generation ministry to next-generation ministry. Paul offers clues to a new concern that he had. He didn't know how long Caesar would let him live. That meant that Paul could not be sure how much time he had left, and it became all the more important that he was training up the next generation. Later in this chapter, he asked the church to pray that he will have courage to honor Christ, whether by life or by death. So these weren't just words. This was a very real concern that Paul had. Knowing this, Paul's concern was not for his own next adventure, but for all of those who would take up the baton and to continue the race on his behalf. Do you see the parallels between Paul's ministry and the ministry shifts that we are going through today? Here's the first shift that we've experienced over the last three months, from in-person meetings to online gatherings. From now on, once we even come back and we're able to meet together in public forums, North River will have a hybrid ministry, both in person and online. Depending on the conditions, one or the other may be more dominant for a while. The second shift is from building-centered ministry to home-based ministries. For several years, North River grew by attracting seekers to come to our Sunday services. And so eventually we outgrew a couple of settings and we had to build this facility to house that kind of ministry. That was the right ministry strategy for a long period of time, and God blessed it. But trends have shifted over the past several years, and we have pivoted to take ministry out into the local community even more than trying to get people to come here and join us in this facility. The COVID-19 shutdown of churches has not stopped the work of the church, but it has simply accelerated a change of focus that we had already begun to embrace. I saw a cartoon a few weeks ago, and it had a discussion between Satan and Jesus. And Satan says, isn't this great? I've shut down all the churches. And Jesus says, oh, it is wonderful because you've opened opened up ministries in every home across the land. And then here's the third shift that we're going through. From adult-dominated to next-generation partners in ministry. For the past few years around here, we have been building an international ministry focus. It was always the responsibility of the current generation 
to reach the next generation, and that will be true until the time that Christ comes and sets up his final kingdom on earth. Again, the COVID-19 shutdown has accelerated that ministry goal. What you have not been able to see but have taken advantage of is that over the past several weeks, we have been blessed by the partnership of several younger people who have contributed greatly to our ministry. J.T. Thomas, Gabriel Bohorquez, David Sumner, and Charlie Soleri have all made great contributions to our audiovisual team. In some cases, they've been editing these services before they are broadcast to you. Jay Hamilton's abilities in sound mixing have added to the work of Patrick O'Neill and John Songdahl and Rob Henry. And then perhaps you've noticed Allie Waterman, Riley Shimshack, Ella and young John Duff, Jessica and Jennifer Carvalho, and Phoebe McLean, who have all taken up roles in our worship team. Several of our young adults have also read scripture or prayed or shared faith stories before the message. In all of these efforts, methods change, but the mission remains the same. And then here's the third uh, assumption that we've been reassessing. God works when we reassess our assumptions. Notice the way Paul finishes out uh, this section of Scripture that we're looking at this morning. Verses 12 through 14 read this way. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Look at this thought. Paul's imprisonment has advanced the gospel. And so he goes on and he says, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and have dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is beginning to see his confinement as something that has led to an advancement that he could not have possibly imagined beforehand. This was not the plan that the Apostle Paul would have chosen as his own. He missed meeting with the people of the church in Philippi, much as you and I miss meeting together Sunday after Sunday here where we can gather together. He had great affection for these people. Now Paul points to three dramatic gains that come from this shift of methods. First, the gospel has advanced, and that's the most important thing in his mind. Second, the palace guards have been impacted by Paul's house arrest. And so all the palace guards have been hearing Paul teach others or they've picked up on conversations with Paul and they've heard the gospel of Jesus. And so the gospel of grace is beginning to penetrate into the very household of Caesar. And third, church members have become more confident in sharing the gospel of Jesus. They didn't have Paul around to lead the charge every time, and every time they made another step forward, they learned from their successes, and they learned from their mistakes, and they became more and more confident as they were led by the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit does with you and me today. This new strategy was not something that even prison could break. The gospel cause has advanced. So we're discovering that the pathway to joy and completion in our shared ministry forces us to reassess our assumptions. And that fits our big idea for this morning. The pathway to joy and completion in life 
forces us to reassess our assumptions. I'd like to give you a couple of thoughts about how we make the most of this partnership in the gospel that we have. We share that with apostles like Paul. We share that with our pastors and leaders within the church. We share that with each other. But we all are called to this partnership. I have three thoughts. Here's the first one. Make it a partnership of prayer. So Paul starts off in verse 3 by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Pray on your own. Pray for our ministry with your small group. Don't think that that is unimportant. Join us tomorrow night. We're going to have on Monday night our first outdoor prayer and worship gathering in the parking lot. You need to sign up and register for that on the northriverchurch.org webpage on the events page of that. We're going to limit that to 100 cars. But this is our first experiment in coming back together for an outdoor event. We'd love to have you be a part of that. Second, make it a gospel partnership. This partnership isn't just any old partnership. It's a gospel partnership. Look at the way that Paul talks about this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This wasn't just any partnership for Paul. It was a gospel partnership, a good news partnership. That means it was centered around their shared faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Perhaps you may be aware that the word gospel means good news, and it speaks of the entire ministry and all the reasons why Jesus came. Here is the center point of the good news. When you transfer your trust from yourself and your own efforts to try and bring yourself up to God, and you transfer your trust to Jesus, He forgives you. He makes you new on the inside, and He makes you a child of God forever. You can embrace this good news. It simply involves a transfer of trust, admitting that you can't save yourself and you can't fix yourself and you can't wipe away your own sins, but Jesus can. When you say, Lord Jesus, I am putting my trust in you. I know that I've messed up. I want to turn from my sins. I want to follow your way. Come and live inside of me through your spirit Make me new, little by little, day by day, as I begin to follow your way. You can do that right now, right here, with your own words. And there's no reason to put this off any longer. Join the partnership with Jesus. And if you have, go ahead and click on that hand that's being raised on on your screen. And then let me know. Write me an email or give me a call paul at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to hear what God is doing in your life and what this means to you today. And then I have one more thought about experiencing the joy of partnership. Make it a whole gospel partnership. Luke records an amazing scene when Jesus opened a scroll to Isaiah 61 very early in his ministry. And so Jesus reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Jesus uses these words as he launches his official outward gospel ministry in public. 
And he's talking about a whole gospel. Not just that we would be saved from our sins, but that the gospel has an impact on the lives of people and the way that we treat other people. So these are the ancient words of the gospel that the prophets foretold and that Jesus then announced. Jesus was committed to whole gospel partnership. This is one reason why we need to seek wisdom and listen very carefully in the midst of this time that we are in. Our gospel is not a whole gospel when we glory in our personal salvation, yet ignore those who have been oppressed, because Jesus said he had come to release the prisoner, to recover sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. The last few nights, my wife Sue and I have been watching a documentary series that my friend Jua Robinson urged us to watch. It's free on Amazon Prime. It's called The Color of Compromise, and it's based on a book by Jamar Tisby, who's a PhD in church history. The book and the documentary walk us through all of the times that the evangelical church over the past 200, 250 years has come close but then failed to act when there were opportunities to tear down the walls between black and white people and between black and white Christians. The point is that at several key moments where practicing the whole gospel was all of a sudden a great opportunity, opportunities have been missed in the past. And part of what I think is going on around us, despite however much it gets clouded by the violence and the stuff that you and I can't agree with, it's time that we learn from the past and that we welcome the whole gospel. And it may just be that the time that we are living in is where people from different racial backgrounds and different colors come together as one united church and we take down the walls once and for all. Make your gospel, the gospel you trust in, the whole gospel that Jesus came to announce. And that will be part of our pathway to joy and completion of all that God intends for us to experience as Christians in our day. Please join me in a final prayer. Father God, thank you that you are at work behind the scenes sometimes in pushing us to look at our own blind spots. Thank you for friends who have suggested to me that my blind spots are much greater than I've been aware of. And I pray that you will allow us as individual Christians and also as a church to reassess our assumptions about ministry and even about the gospel on our pathway to embracing the whole gospel of Jesus. And may you liberate us too in the process. We pray these things in the mighty power of Jesus who changes lives and Jesus who changes the story of whole groups and tribes of people. Amen.